Welcome to the war from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, it's been a while since we've heard from the uh, great Norman Corwin, and we're going to do so today. So here now is uh, today's uh, drama from another series of uh, Columbia by Corwin, the Columbia Workshop, from July the 4th of 1944. And the title simply is Home for the Fourth. That operator? All right, wait a minute now. Here's the 20 cents. Hello, Pa? This is Eddie. I'm at camp. I say I'm at the camp. Yeah. I'm waiting in line two hours to make this call, Pa. Huh? I'm fine, Pa. How are you? Am I okay and Beanie? Ah, oh, that's good. Look, Pa, listen. Here's why I'm calling. I'm going to be home over the 4th. Yeah. Two-day pass. No, 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 no. By train. I'll get in around dinner time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, Pa, a lot of guys are waiting to make calls. So I better hang up. Uh-huh. Okay, I see you Monday night. Bye. <laughs> Columbia presents Corwin. From Hollywood, Norman Corwin brings you the rising young Warner Brothers star, Dane Clark, in a new play for radio entitled Home for the Fourth. The musical score is composed and conducted by Bernard Herman. Dane Clark in Norman Corwin's Home for the Fourth. Of course, I had to wait in line two hours for my ticket. One way? Oh, round trip. Uh, 1423. And then when I got on the train, it was crowded. Do you mind if I sit here? Oh, not at all. Here, let me help you with that suitcase. Thank you very much. And at the second station, a lot more people got on, and they had to stand in the aisles. One of them was a pregnant woman, and nobody seemed to be offering her a seat, so I got up and gave it to her, and I stood in the vestibule. A corporal from Camp Wood was standing there, and we fell to talking. What camp you from? Manning. But you'll be glad to get home, huh? Oh, I'll say. I've been gone eight months. You married? No, but I'll sure be glad to see my girl again. How about you? I've been married two years. Yeah? Yeah, two years next August. Well, I thought about getting married, but I don't know. Getting married is pretty serious. You the only son in your family? No, I got a brother, Jim, in the Air Force overseas and a kid sister. Why? Well, sometimes it makes a difference. Your brother in the invasion? No, he's a meteorologist with the ground forces based in England. Uh Uh-huh. Is there a diner on this train? Oh, I don't think so. I'm getting hungry. Me too, but I'm going to wait till I get home. I'll be home just in time for dinner. I think I could eat a small-sized horse. 
What I didn't tell him, because he looked so doggone hungry, was that my mother makes the best southern fried chicken in the world. He went to look for some chow, and I just stood there, biding my time, listening to the wheels. Gets to be a kind of a music after a while. I got a hand in your mind, you haven't lost a touch. Uh, well, look at all the practice I've had. Been making chicken this way for 24 years. Mm. It wasn't so good in the experimental stages, though. I can remember when we were first married. Oh, now, George, you don't have to spoil it. The armed forces like my cooking. You can at least let me have the compliment to myself. That's right, Ma. Stick up for your rights. Mm, subversive propaganda, son. The first thing you know, she'll begin to think woman's place isn't in the kitchen. Besides, <laughs> tomorrow is Independence Day. What's the use of the 4th of July without fireworks? Oh, Beanie, sit up in your chair and eat your chicken. I'm not hungry. Well, sit up anyway, on speculation. You couldn't slouch like that in the wax, Beanie. I'm too young for the wax anyway. Well, you're not too young to eat, dear. Come on now. Think of all the hungry people in Europe. I told you, Ma, I'm not hungry, please. Well, no wonder you're not hungry, please. Oh, eating cookies all afternoon. Well, I made the cookies specially for Eddie, and I had to taste them to see if they were good. Didn't mm -hmm. I, gee, wish I'm only human? Well, let's, let's open to some debate. I, <laughs> I don't think humans sit that way at meals. No. Orangutans, maybe, but not humans. What's orangutan? A sergeant. Uh, oh, Eddie. <laughs> incidentally, Eddie, I, I met Bill Gargan today. Oh, how is Bill? Oh, he's fine. He's lieutenant. Got ten days furlough before going overseas. Says he might drop into dinner. Good, like to see him. Hmm. Uh, when are you going to see Rita? Well, she doesn't get off work till 8, and then she's coming over. Oh. Aren't you married, Rita, Eddie? I would if I were. Ma, will you sit down? I'll bring in the coffee. No, sir, you stay where you are. The idea, home for a day and a half, and he wants to wait on the table. Well, I'll help you, Ma. That's a good girl, Beanie. Oh, I do it all the time. Have a cigar, Eddie? No, thanks. I'll smoke my pipe. Uh, how many of these things do you smoke a day? Oh, about seven or eight. Mm, that's too many. You don't like to see you smoke so much. Yes, Father. Okay, son, see that you cut down. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, how do you think things are going in the invasion, Ed? Oh, I think they're going fine now. This new offensive that started in the West with the taking of Minsk and our, our secured beachhead in Sherbrooke, I, I don't see how it can last past oh, Great the work, Ed, great work. They're certainly doing a grand job. There's a sergeant in my company who's had some people George, come back from overseas. did you hear from Mr. McCausland? No, I'm expecting a wire from him tonight. Be careful, dear. You spill the cream beanie. Well, why'd you fill it so full, Ma? Say, Pa, what did Jim say in his letter? Oh, it's a fine letter. Show it to you after dinner. Gee, it's a swell letter. Jim sent home a picture of him standing with a British girl in uniform. Uh. Oh, I'm glad your brother Jim isn't in the fighting in Normandy. Mm, I'll bet he's not glad. Well, he's doing his part. They need good meteorologists at the bases in England. Two or three? Thousands of them. No, I mean how many lumps of sugar? Oh. One. Say, take a look at the little finger, will you? Very fancy. Where did you learn to drink tea like that, Beanie? The movie? Libby de Havilland drinks tea like that? <laughs> the phone oh, that's the probably phone. your telegram. No, I think door. it's Rita for me. Well, maybe it's Olivia de Havilland for me. No, huh? it's probably yeah. for me. It's probably for me. Wait a minute. Hello? Yeah, this is me. Hey, for me. Yeah. You know who's home? Oh, Eddie. Mm, yeah. That's Sally, the Whitney kid next what? door. Sally, do I remember Sally? Mm. This so. is good for at least half the nice. Half the... 
Beanie, please limit your call to five hours. Now, you used to be just as bad on the phone with Rita. Yes, but Rita didn't live next door. <laughs> More coffee, Edward? No, no thanks, Mom. You, Dad? Yes, thanks. All right. <laughs> hey, get a load of that edifying phone conversation, will you? Well, it's all right. Listen, listen. I think a lot of phony baloney after cheese, and you can tell I said so, too. Well, she was Miss Keeley's pet all last year. She used to bring her apples. Yeah, and one day she brought her a catalog. But turned out to be rotten. That's the point she always goes. Enough Incidentally. What? What do you think about my marrying Rita before I'm sent overseas? Well, son, do you love her? Well, sure I do. But you see, I I've just been wondering whether, well, the war being what it is, you know, uncertain and... Wondering whether I'm kidding myself into thinking that I ought to get married now instead of waiting and... Well, if you had to think about it, then I don't suppose you're ready to get married. Oh, is that so? Well, you thought about it long enough before you married me. You called six years long? Edward, if you want to get married, then I say... Oh, that's probably Reed at the door. Well, maybe my telegram. No, no, I'll go. Hello, you. Rita. You're looking well, Edward. So are you. Ask me in, darling. Oh, come here. You're full of lipstick. It's all right. Mark of honor. Here's my handkerchief. All off? Yes. Let's go inside. We went in the dining room and we chatted for a while. Mom made Rita have some dessert and coffee. Beanie was still on the telephone, of course, until Pa made her hang up because he was expecting a wire from somebody. And then the folks, you know how they are, they figured Rita and me hadn't seen each other for a while, so they sent Beanie to bed and then announced they hadn't been out in the air all day and they simply had to go for a walk. So Rita and I went in the living room and I turned on the radio. Dirty, but Bringing you the winner of the local high school Independence Day essay contest, Mr. Herbert Gates, Jr., reading his prize-winning paper entitled, What the Fourth of July Means to Me, to Gates. Tomorrow is the Fourth of July. It is our national day of independence and is celebrated wherever Americans are or whatever they are doing. July 4th, 1944 or July 4th, 1776. The American people have always celebrated this day, and that will give you some idea of how important it is. Get something else. What good American okay. is not thrilled at the sight of Yes. I sure miss the radio at camp. Uh, I don't get a chance to hear it much either with my job the way it is. I suppose. Did you by any chance hear the lonesome train a couple of months ago? No. What's that? New song by, about Lincoln. No, I didn't hear it. It was pretty good. It's too bad you missed it. Yeah. Did you miss me? What do you think? What do I think? Yes. I think that you're more wonderful than I imagined. Imagine? Yes. 
You want to know something? I used to think about you. I used to imagine you every day. Every night, I, I, I'd take your picture out when I was alone. I'd look at it. I didn't pin it up on the wall because I almost didn't want to share it with anybody. I... Oh. I love you, Rita. Do you really? Of course I do. Are you as mad to be with me as... as I am to see you? <laughs> yes, Shifa. And you still want to marry me? Yes. Then, then why don't we get married before you go overseas? Well, it's like I said before. What did you say before? Well, now supposing I go in, I get shot up, so you got an invalid husband on your hand. Just suppose I'm killed, then, then you're a widow. All right, suppose I'm lost or something. I'm reported missing. Uh, Ed, that's silly. You, you know I love you enough to face up to anything that might happen. Darling, is it that you're afraid to marry me? Is it that you're not sure you love me? Don't be afraid to tell me if that's how you feel. No, no, that's silly. I do love you. Only... Well, it's only that I'm... I'm kind of hipped on this subject, I guess. I... I've just got the kind of a conscience that simply won't let me... Oh, no, don't look like that, darling. I... I, I'm all right. Sweetheart, let's not talk about it, huh? Let's just be glad to be together. It's so long since I've seen you. Yes. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> sitting there on the sofa for about a half hour and then we heard voices out on the porch and we figured the folks must be back in their walk so we went out and we joined them they were talking with bill goggins who had met them on their way up the street pa was deep in an argument yes, with bill but i know what i'm talking about bill i fought in the last one it was the same thing then they said it was the war to end war and so on and so forth but it wasn't anything of the kind it's the same thing today all over again well, I disagree with you, Mr. Eakins. It's an entirely different war. In in the, in hey, the first place, you see... here. Well, hello, Eddie. Bill, how are you? Fine, I'm glad. You know Rita, don't you? Yes, of yes, course. How are you, dear? Oh. What are you doing? I'm working in a machine and tool factory now. Oh, oh good don't for let's you. interrupt this dogfight. Carry on, gentlemen. Oh, well, we weren't arguing. It's just that Bill here seems to think you can change human nature. Uh, no. No, I don't believe that's an issue at all, Mr. Eakins. If, uh... If anything, in, uh, people's instincts are against war. Was it human nature that got Ed and me into uniform? No, it was draft board number 17. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't human nature. It was a very inhuman, unnatural thing. Like what? It was fascism, Ed. That's right, Bill. Why, sure. After all, uh, peace and not war is so much a part of human nature that... 
Well, most of us just refused to believe that the fascists deliberately intended to make war. And we waited until it was almost too late. I still think we're going to have another war after this one. And so do I. Oh, Eddie, you don't. Sure I do. That's defeatist talk, if you ask me. Mr. Eakins, you mean you don't think anybody will have learned anything out of this war? No, I think it's exactly the same kind of war as the last one. Absolutely, I agree with my old man. Well, your old lady doesn't agree with your old man. I think we've made a lot of progress. Good for you. Such as what? Well, the Atlantic Charter and the Tehran Conference I'll and... bet you don't even know what they stand for. How much do you want to bet, oh, hmm? Oh, never mind, never mind. When you talk that way, you probably know. Mm-hmm. Well, what do they stand for? The Tehran Agreement called for the big three to continue cooperating after the war. I ought to know that when I lecture to the East Side Women's Club about it. It says that Britain, Russia, and we are planning for the day when all the people in the world can live free lives. Free from tyranny and, uh, well, if I remember the wording, uh, according to each one's varying desires and uh, his own conscience. Isn't that right, Mrs. Eakins? Correct. Oh, that all sounds fine, but but I tell you it's idealistic. It's it's visionary. Well, what do you think? Look, none of the boys, Bill, that I know in the Army go for that idealism stuff, at least not in my outfit. Well, they do in my outfit. Listen, Bill, I've talked with a lot of the boys, including some who've been overseas, and the one thing they want to know is when do they get home? Sure, just as in the last war. Even our letters from Jim are full of it. Oh, soldiers in every war have wanted to go home. Certainly, if you want an example of human nature, that's one, to want to go home. But there's a... There's a big difference in this war. Oh, you hear of men wanting to come home, sure, but you don't hear of any desertions on account of it, as you did in other wars. The American soldier knows he's got to win before he gets home, or else his home won't be worth coming back to. So what's that got to do with the Tehran Conference? What's that got to do with it? Yeah. Everything. What do you suppose our men are fighting for, anyway? Oh, ideals, I suppose. Oh, chicken in every hot and hot pot. Oh, that's a fine ideal for a young American. Well, Look, we're fighting to get it over with, and that's all. Look, I don't begin to understand your attitude about idealism. You, you and your father seem to think that it's a little embarrassing to be found dead or alive with an ideal. Sure, sure, the Tehran uh, Agreement's visionary. But so was our Declaration of Independence. Did you ever stop to think of that? Supposing they sat around at Philadelphia 150 years ago making cracks about long hairs and visionaries. But that's different. The Declaration of Independence involved one country in 1776, and a Terran thing involves oh, a bunch of countries in another time. Oh, I'm ashamed of you. We were practically 13 separate countries back in 1776. Where's your history? Well, I know. I hear name. certain people speak about the ideology of this war as though it was something extra. Uh, Something you could throw away, uh, dispense with, if the going gets tough. Well, I think it's a heck of a lot more important than C-rations or K-rations or sometimes even ammunition. It's the whole heart and soul of fighting. And I've talked to a lot of G.I.s, too, and in my experience, it's hardly ever the men who do the fighting who sneer at the reasons why they're fighting. Yes, and the ones who sneer are mostly high-priced columnists who spend the rest of their time kicking about the income tax they have to pay. Sure. The only time the war comes home to them is when they get bounced off a plane because they don't have a priority. Mm. Uh, what papers do you read, Bill? Yeah, the same papers you read, sir. And I don't have to read the editorials to form my opinions. 
just the main headlines and the text of the speeches and the communiques. I've been doing that right along. So have I, ever since Spain. Well, with me ever since Manchuria. Well, that's all very well, and I still say men are fighting to get back to where we were before the stinking war. That's all they're fighting for, and I think that's enough to fight for. We're not mad at anybody. Well, <laughs> look, Ed. Well, neither of us is on this lead to spend our time arguing. All I can say personally is that if I'm going to die in this war, I'd like it to be for an ideal. For something, something pretty awful special. And I think the promise of Terahan is, is that. I think the whole fact and the idea of the United Nations is something good and special. Now, wait a minute, Bill. Let's get back to where we were talking about, about the Declaration of Independence. Now, in the first We've place... We've never left it, Eddie. We've never left it, William. Tehran, the Charter, all these things, they're sort of the great-grandsons of stuff like the Declaration. Certainly. If a man writes a fine document 150 years ago, he's a hero, but... If he writes it today, he's a politician. Believe me, when I leave my family this trip, it'll be for the duration. Maybe for a good deal longer. And if I'm not coming back, at least I want my people to have an insurance policy on my life. And the best policy I know about so far is the one the Allies wrote there at Terrahan. Yeah, yeah. And there's a captain in my company who talks like you, too, but nobody pays any attention to him, either. Oh, Eddie, what a thing to say. I think you ought to apologize to Bill. Oh, well, that's my... No, 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 no. <laughs> That's all right, Rita. Well, look, I I've got to be getting along anyway, and that's as good a place as any to leave the discussion. Oh, now, hold on, Bill. You no, will... no, don't you go, Bill. Please stay and have some tea with no, us. No, no, come no, on. really, You're really. I sorry, I've got are you? To... No, oh, no. come on, come on, Bill, and stay. We really love you, you know, only... I know. Even though we, we don't agree with you. Sure, Bill, I will. No, 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 really. Look, look, I must go. I I'm late now. I told Ed and I'd drop around now, so... Well... <laughs> Good night, everybody. And I hope that before I go, we get a chance. Oh, George, look. Here comes a boy with your telegram from McCausland. Where? Why, he's right there crossing the street. Oh, it's about time he let me know. Nearly a whole day late with that thing. George W. Eakins live here? Yeah. Telegram for you. So I see. Sign there. Okay. Here you are. Thanks. If Herb doesn't get me those reservations, I'm just going to... Well, what's he say? What is it, Pa? What's the matter, George? Here, give it to me. The War Department regrets to inform you that your son, James Trish Egans, is missing. But he's a meteorologist. Well, how can he be missing? He's stationed in England. That, that could be right, I... There must be some mistake here. Maybe it's the wrong... Jim. Jim missing. But it just says missing. Lots of guys who are missing later... I... I'm going inside. Excuse me, everybody. I'm going inside. Here, here. Let me help you, Mother. There. I'm sorry, Eddie. Believe me, I'm sorry. Ed, here's... Oh, Jim's all right. He's missing, that's all. Lots of guys who are missing later turn up. 
Don't they, Bill? Don't they turn up later? Sure, Eddie. Lots of them. Sure. Jim isn't dead. I know that. You can't kill a guy like Jim. He'll turn up. Of course he will. Sure. Here. Have a cigarette? Thanks. Rita? Thanks. I... I'm glad you're here with us right now, Bill. Can you stay for a little while? Yes, do stay, Bill. Of course. Bill, I... Come in the house. Come on in. I'll make something to drink for you. Folks were feeling better when I left the house the next day. It was the saddest Fourth of July we'd ever had, but the folks took it wonderfully well. After all, Jim is only missing. Many of the boys do show up after a while, especially flyers who come down to enemy territory. I guess Jim must have changed his job from meteorologist to join a bombing crew. And he never bothered to tell us. Or maybe he never was a meteorologist. Darling. Your train leaves in five minutes, and you'd better stand at the gate if you want to get a seat. Just one more kiss, and make it last for three weeks. You'll come down to camp on the 30th now? Yes. I'll bring the license, too. Don't worry. Oh, yes, Mrs. Eakins. I love you. And I love you. It was a slow, crowded ride back to camp. I felt pretty blue. I had to smile once when a fellow on the train exploded a couple of paper bags in celebration of the 4th of July. He said it was Erzat's fireworks on account of there was a war on. All the way back, I listened to the wheels clicking. And I kept thinking about Jim and Rita and about what Bill Goggins said. I decided I... I sort of liked Bill. The more I thought about him, he's really a decent kind of a fellow, 
with a good head on his shoulders. He's like Jim in a way. Yeah. Like Jim. have been listening to Home for the Fourth, written, directed, and produced by Norman Corwin for CBS as the 17th in his current series of broadcasts. Dane Clark, distinguished Warner Brothers star, appeared in the role of Ed Eakins. Wally Mayer was Lieutenant Bill Goggins. Betsy Kelly played Rita. Pa Eakins was played by Paul McVeigh. And Regina Wallace was heard as Ma. Joan Loring was Beanie, and the boy was Billy Roy. Bernard Herman composed and conducted the original musical score. Because of Columbia's coverage of the all-star Major League Baseball game a week from tonight, Columbia Presents Corin will not be heard again until two weeks from tonight on Tuesday, July 18th, at this same time. And on that night... The Moat Farm Murder. This is Norman Cohen. I'd like to take a moment to tell you something about the program we've planned for the 18th. Last year, when I suggested to Charles Lawton that he perform the trilogy of American poets which you heard earlier this month, he made a suggestion of his own. He told me that in the court records of British criminal law, there was a remarkable confession by a bungling small-time murderer named Dougal. He said he read it on a subway train in London and was so horror-struck and fascinated that he rode three stations past his stop. Well, we looked up the confession in an old British periodical, and I read it. It was the most terrifying study of a murderer's conscience that I'd ever encountered, and I agreed that it ought to make a, an unusual broadcast. So Charles Lawton will be doing an encore to his trilogy with the Moat Farm murder on this program two weeks from tonight. Bernard Herman will again compose and conduct an original score. Remember, Columbia Presents Corwin will not be heard a week from tonight, but will return on July the 18th. This is Dick Cutting speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. I had to admit that I really appreciated the artistic value of this uh, program. And they did just a few things that were really neat. I thought they were very good on kind of the minimalistic, realistic portrayal of dialogue. So these really seemed like... Uh, actual people talking, even when you got into the debate. Uh, I think we can all recognize this debate that they portrayed. 
uh, with different issues is the type of thing that comes up at uh, occasions, uh, family reunions, things of that sort, where you really, really just want to find a way to change the subject. And so this was just masterfully done all around, and it's a very powerful and moving story. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.